a life changed. We started a little series last week and, uh, and kind of going through some of the uh, uh, scripture stories that Jesus would use, the parables that he would use, because I think they really can teach us a lot of things. And today I want to talk to you about mountain moving faith and moving those mountains with faith. Let's take a look in Matthew chapter 17. I want to pick up at verse 14. And uh, let's take a look at these verses together. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and he knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought uh, him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. O unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Well, Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. And then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? Verse 20, he replied, Jesus replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Ever find yourself reacting to certain uh, stories and promises in Scripture, uh, maybe one of three ways. Maybe you're the sinful skeptic, uh, outrageous claims as proof that the Bible is not the authoritative Word of God just by listening to a story like that. That's outrageous that you can move a mountain with a mustard seed. Maybe you're doubtful dull <laughs> or, or doctrinal dull and you believe that the Bible is true but you hold to such a doctrinal position, it regulates miraculous signs to specific periods of time in history. Perhaps you're part of the faithful few. Those are the folks who embrace the promises of Scripture and live by those promises every day. On two separate occasions, the Lord declared that incredible mountain-moving power was available to those who would exercise faith. The promise, if it occurred just once in Scripture, would be holy and reliable. God's choice to present this truth in multiple settings highlights and heightens the significance of the stories. God's miracle-working power is not limited just to salvation, but God desires to show His power, His glory, His forgiveness, his joy, His peace in and through our lives on a daily basis. To understand mountain-moving faith, we've got to consider the teachings in two places. Matthew 17, which we just read, and then Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. When you first observe what needs to be seen... We're made to understand that Jesus is using a physical illustration to communicate a spiritual truth. When he said, tell this mountain to be cast into the sea, he's not teaching a college course on landscape design. Nor is he explaining horticulture principles to his disciples. But in Matthew's passage, Jesus uses mountain-moving faith to instruct the disciples who failed to defeat demonic forces. In Mark 11, Jesus addresses the rebellion of Israel and their refusal to embrace the kingdom of God with the same story. 
And the specific context of Mark 11 includes Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem and driving the money changers out of the temple. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah when Jesus says, My house shall be called a house of prayer. The incredible promise of moving mountains occurs within the context of purity and prayer. Observing when and where Jesus declared these promises reveals the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God. Throughout His earthly ministry, Jesus encountered many who wanted to make Him a political or a military leader, but He reminded them often, always, that His kingdom is not of this world. Because you and I, we struggle with the same inability. We struggle with the same unwillingness to operate according to spiritual principles. We try to squeeze God into our world. We try to squeeze Him into our box so that we understand what He's doing. Quit doing it. Quit doing it. There's absolutely nothing that you and I can do or understand that will make you understand what happened at the cross. You just got to accept it. How could Jesus hang on the cross and die for you and me and die for us all the way up into 2008? Because there's one old chart preacher, I heard him preach one time. You, ever, you ever remember chart preachers? Some of you will. <laughs> they used to draw it all out on charts and they whoa. You know, that's before uh, PowerPoints and all that stuff. They used to do the colored charts and they'd have them hanging everywhere. Well, this guy said Jesus hung on the cross. And he reached back to creation and forward to eternity. And he brought all the sins upon his body at the Calvary. Wow. Well, that included you and me. So if you don't want to come to Christ for any other reason, you ought to come just because he died for you. That's good enough right there. Well, I don't want to live that life. Why not? How's the other one working for you? <laughs> Yeah. We struggle because we don't want to understand spiritually. We want to somehow get it all apart. It's like the creational creationist scientists. They try to put the creationism out of the way as it's a theory. Well, so is evolution. Evolution's a theory. It takes faith to believe evolution as much as it does to believe creation. But it makes sense to me that somebody made it. Somebody did it. Because if you take a watch, you take a watch apart, it's got all these little parts in it. You put them all together and it, and it keeps time, doesn't it? It's amazing. All those intricate little pieces. Well, if you believe in evolution, you'll put that in a box, you'll throw it across the table, and by the time it gets to the other side of the table, it's a watch. It takes a lot of faith to believe that, doesn't it? It takes a lot of faith to believe that. Every time a baby's born, and you look at that baby, whew, if that's not a creation of God, and some babies are more pretty than others. I understand that. But every baby is loved and thought is beautiful by somebody. But let me tell you, when, when those babies are born, there's nothing more exciting. There's nothing more exciting. Because those babies are a perfect creation of God. How, how can a little bitty egg and a bunch of little swimming fish, <laughs> tadpoles, create that beautiful baby. I don't know, but it does. It does. Hallelujah. And aren't they just marvels? 
I called my son the other day. I said, how did you? I could hear Kelsey singing in the background. I called it singing. And I said, well, hey, I hear her singing. He goes, yeah, I guess that's what you call that. I had to chuckle just a little bit. He's starting to be a real dad, and she's starting to be a real kid. That's awesome. And Corey came and picked up my other grandson last night. You didn't know I had another grandson, did you? He stands about this tall on four legs, and his name is Champ. And he was going to spend the night with me and Grandma last night. Well, I turned the light out in the living room, and Champ is a big dog. And Champ was laying on the sofa, and I thought, he'll be good for the night. I went about five minutes, I hear this. I looked at Cindy, I said, that sounded like Corey when he was a baby. Spitting image. So I called him back to our room, and he came back to our room. He wanted reassurance, didn't he? So not only did he want reassurance, he decided that sleeping on our bed was where he should be. And he's a pretty good-sized little fella, little puppy that he is. I call him, he's got Joy Twilly feet. And those of you who know Joy Twilly know what I'm talking about. They're 15s. I mean, he's got big old feet. Well, he got halfway on the bed and couldn't get the rest of the way, so we had to lift him up on the bed. Now, he's laid right down, ready to go sleep. Well, he's, he was with somebody. You see, that's the way Jesus is with us. We get scared, and we're trying to get up on the bed to be up, be safe. He has to lift us up there. And once we get there, what do we do? We just lay down and take it easy. And that's what these stories teach us. Often we are dominated by the material world. We let it dictate to us. We let it dictate to us. And just as devastating as being consumed by materialistic greed, and we're seeing it played out in front of us in our, in our Western world, is the spiritual blindness that handicaps so many believers. Randy Alcorn wrote an insightful book, uh, Lord Falgren's Letters. It's a concept from C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, but written in 21st century America in a family. A high-ranking demon shares his, with his apprentice effective strategies for leading this 21st century into the pits of hell. Lord Falgren writes to the demon Squall Taint. I love these names. And he says, consider whom we are dealing with here. The, the virus of the galaxy. These parasites called image bearers are so ignorant they ignore the cosmos is limited to what they see, hear, touch, taste, and smell. The rest of the universe, 99.99% of all reality in their puny minds simply doesn't exist. They're like those slimy babies in their vermin mother's womb, never suspecting there's a vast world beyond the realm of their senses. And so often Christians believe that God is no bigger than I am. They're taught that. Oprah Winfrey has her own religion. And all it is is just a new twist on an old story. It ain't about you. It never has been about you. And you can't get your way to heaven. There is only one way to get to heaven. John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Those are the letters in red that say I love you. We must recognize the spiritual reality of unseen principles that govern the kingdom of God. A failure to appreciate the unseen forces affecting our lives prevents us from utilizing the power of faith promised by Christ. You want to fight the battle? 
We're in a war, by the way. You want to fight the battle? Go to Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. Put it on. How are you going to win? Put it on that full armor. We had a brother last night, Scott Gordon, pastor over in Sepulpa, speak to our men's dinner. Love that brother. I tell you, I'm, I'm always amazed at where Brad finds these people. You know, when you first meet somebody, you get an impression, don't you? And when I met Brother Scott, his voice was cracking and cracking. I thought, oh, Lord, have mercy. What in the world is he going to say to us that's going to fire us up? He didn't even, he said, he said, Pastor, I don't eat meat. He just ate vegetables and salad. I thought, what kind of, this guy ain't got no power. He don't eat no meat. Come on now. Yeah, no, got to have meat. Now, let me tell you, no more powerful message I've ever heard than I heard last night. He shared his testimony, how he got into drugs and alcohol. And he said, you name it, I've been there. Went to prison for it. He said, the bad part about being in El Reno in federal penitentiary, in federal prison, he said, I found God in a four-by-four room. He said, and then I couldn't participate. He said, I couldn't participate in all the fun things going on in El Reno. He said, they were gambling. They were making their own alcohol. I couldn't. He said, they called me church boy because I was finding Christ and reading the Bible. And he said, but I'm telling you right now, God has delivered me. He said, Brad Henry, was it two years ago, did he say? Brad Henry gave him a pardon. Gave him a pardon. He stepped back and said, look what God can do. <laughs> hey, God's pardoned you and me from the pits of hell through the blood of his son, Jesus. Unseen forces, they're waging war against you. Paul says that our battle is not flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces, the evil forces out there in the world. Jesus used the terminology of moving mountains to elevate our perception beyond the finite limits of time and space. And He calls us to an infinite God to release supernatural power in your life. He's calling you as a believer to step up to the plate and to hit a home run. And you do it, as Pat showed us this morning, on your knees. That's where you find Him. That's where He can talk to you. The second major characteristic of mountain moving faith is that spoken expression of believing God to honor His promises. You see, this concept of speaking faith has been ignored by large segments of the Christian community. The second part of Jesus' teaching in Mark 11, verse 24, says, Believing in your heart, that should enjoy a broader acceptance. Some fear being labeled charismatic if they speak to demons or mountains and, and, and they threaten the advance of God's kingdom in and through our lives. We've got to lay aside the label and we've got to consider carefully the teaching of Jesus here. The principle of speaking faith is not an isolated story. God prescribed the formula of success to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 when He said, Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Whew. Meditate on it. Let it set in your mouth. Don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Keep it on your lips. Share it. We consume the Word of God so we can speak the Word of God in faith. You see, when you pray, pray the Word of God. Quote Scripture to God. Well, He knows the Scripture, Pastor. He wrote it. I got you. I got you. I've never met an author yet that didn't like to have his book read back to him. God's the same way. If you ever listen to Bill O'Reilly, he brags about all these books he writes. And then he talks about, I, 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 I get so tired of hearing him talk about his books. Shut up. 
But because he's an author, he wrote a book. He wants everybody to read his book. And he wants you to tell him how great a book it is. He got upset because people would call him. Had his, had his, when he was a kid, he's on the front cover, right? People called him and said, what happened to you? Shut up, baby. I got old. Well, we know you got old and cranky and worthless. We got you. Good old Catholic boy. We need to get him to find Jesus, don't we? But we see, we consume the Word of God. And by consuming it, then we need to res- respond to it. Speak it in faith. You remember that God prevented Moses from entering the promised land. The Bible says Moses struck the rock twice instead of speaking to the rock as a demonstration of God's provision for the people. Moses' offense was more than a failure to speak because he was acting out of anger toward Israel and he failed to declare that God would bring the water from the rock. You see, Moses took the credit for God's miracle. How many times do you let people do that in your life? You pray for them and then they cling to you and you start to believe that you've got something special when you ain't got nothing. You've got absolutely nothing without the Spirit of God living in you and through you. Amen? I'll pause and let you say amen. Because it's right. When we hear the term confess, we usually think of confessing sin. But confession is more than identifying failure. Confession provides a way to strengthen our faith. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, is a central piece to what's often referred to as the Roman road of salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess that you are saved. You see, you got to let people know that you're saved. Live it, speak it, and do it in faith. Another critical element in the discipline of speaking faith is identifying to what you're speaking. Notice you speak to the mountain. Beyond just making a request in prayer, we must speak to the mountain that we desire God to move. What is the mountain that you are facing? Tell it. Get out of the way. Tell it to get out of your way. Tell it that it will not control you. Tell it that you're not going to let it win. Because even somebody said, well, preacher, what if I die from this illness? You still win! I'll stop a minute and let you do that again. You still win! But preacher, I've got, to have, I've, got this, I've got this disease and the doctor said I've got 30 days to live. You ought to stand up and go, hey! Because <laughs> 30 days means you're going to be in heaven. Isn't that where you want to go? What's worth hanging on here? Well, I've got kids. I've got grandkids. I've got a lovely wife. I know. I've got a new grandson dog. I've I, I got all of it. He's cute. Oh, he's cute. He comes over there. He just lathers all over you. That's all he does. He put his foot on my foot last night. And I've been limping ever since. I mean, the boy, he's a big old boy. I think Trimble ought to suit him up on Friday night. Because he wants to, all he wants to do is play, and he play, he hits my little dog with his paw. Boom! Old dog just rolls across the floor, you know. And she and she gets up, you know, like, oh yeah, what are you gonna do? Bite his toenail, you know. But you know, that's what God does. He does great things if we let him. If we'll get on his side, if we'll fight the fight. Let me let me give you a little, little more information about this, speaking directly to it. It's a dynamic principle. 
But it's seen best in the ministry of Jesus. When He delivered people from demonic strongholds, He spoke directly to the demons, didn't He? And He commanded the demons to get out in His name. If Jesus had gone, when Lazarus died, and He had gone to the grave, commentators have said, if He had just said, come forth, there would have been thousands of graves open up, you know. But He had to be specific. Lazarus, come forth. Yeah, you ever thought about that? If Jesus would have stood there in the cemetery and said, Hey, come forth! Man, there would have been millions stood up. Hey, what's that? I mean, the whole crowd would have went, Mm-mm-mm-mm. I'm saying Halloween is it, baby. Yeah. In fact, one of the, one of the often skipped over parts of, of the story of Jesus' resurrection is when, or when He died on the cross, it says the earth trembled and the earth shook and said dead people got up and walked into town. Because you see... Everything broke loose when the creator of the universe died on the cross. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine eating dinner? Aunt Bessie, who passed away seven years ago. What's for dinner? I've heard that noise. I've heard that voice. Mabel, what's going on? What is going on? And you go open the door. And there's Aunt Bessie standing there. She just got up out of the grave. How you doing? Are you with me? You've you got to read the Bible so it comes alive to you, folks. Oh, now, preacher, that's just nonsense. That's what it said. Don't you believe it? You better believe it. Because it's the same God who told you that story who said, Hey, I'm going to come back and get you. Be of good cheer. I will never leave you or forsake you. Yeah, well, where are you now? Where are you now when I really need you? Well, why don't you look at that mountain and tell it to get out of your way? What's the mountain standing in your way of spiritual victory? Speaking to mountains is for our benefit. The Bible says Jesus was amazed at times at people's faith. You remember the Roman soldier that came to him and he, he, had, he had this uh, uh, son and he wanted, he wanted him healed. And, and, and so Jesus, the centurion goes, I mean, he died. And he went to, he wanted the centurion and wanted the, the, the boy to, to, to rise. I think it was a little girl to rise. And, and he wanted to, to, to be alive again. And so he goes and he just speaks the word. He says, just say the word and he'll, he, and, and my child will live again. When David faced Goliath, he didn't look at Goliath and go, Ooh, let me tell you 10 principles from Zig Ziglar. No. He quoted scripture at him. He says, the God who you mock will be delivered into my hands today. He put it on the God. He put it back on the Word. He put it back and he spoke faith to this man. Calling the mountains by name helps us recognize the struggle and express thanksgiving to the source of our deliverance. As transforming as the dis discipline of speaking faith is to most believers, there's still a third principle. That if we will do it, it will sustain our dedication and it will help us as we move mountains. In Matthew 17, it includes the powerful but often misapplied illustration of the mustard seed. The popular misapplication of this passage is this. If you just have a tiny bit of faith, God can use your little faith to accomplish significant things. Now I say that's a misconception. And misapplication because Jesus in this thought is not promoting small faith. He doesn't have small faith. Throughout his ministry, he rebuked the disciples and others 
for their lack of faith or their little bit of faith. He would say, oh, you of little faith. It's not a statement of commendation. Jesus was amazed at the centurion in Luke chapter 7 because he demonstrated great faith. The mustard seed illustrates powerful potential, not small size. I want you to rethink this whole story. He's telling you about the powerful potential, not the small size. Three significant characteristics of the mustard seed I hope you'll take away with you today. Mustard seeds illustrate limitation. That may sound contradictory from what I just said, but the point is, is that mustard seeds produce mustard plants or mustard trees. Mustard seeds do not produce apples, oranges, or pineapples. Jesus taught the Word of God is like a seed. Mustard seed faith is powerful, but the power is limited to producing those things consistent with biblical revelation. You say, the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. But you have to be abiding in Him and Him abiding in you before you ever ask that prayer. You want God to remove something? Then you better get into Him and be connected to Him and be tied down tight with Him before you start to pray that prayer. It really puts a cramp in those name it and claim it folks. Because Jesus is not promising to give you whatever you want. He promises that faith releases the power of God to produce biblical maturity in your life and display God's glory. People lose loved ones. People lose mates. And, they, 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 you, and you marvel. You step back and marvel at the strength they demonstrate in the midst of that loss. Well, you know why they can do that? It's because every moment of every day, they're clinging to the cross. They're not doing it on their own strength. They're not doing it on their own power. They're doing it on the power of God. Through and in them on a daily basis. The second thing I want you to understand from this and characteristic from the mustard seed. Limitation. Secondly, expectation. When a mustard seed is planted, one expects a mustard plant to emerge from that ground. Even though you cannot see the seed making the transformation, you expect that process to work. You expect it to work. You put, you put the seed in, you fertilize it, you water it, and something's going to grow out of that ground. You expect it. There's an expectation. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, that, and it defines faith, it says it's the conviction of things not seen, the assurance of things hoped for. Jesus said in Mark 11.24, when you ask, believe as though you've already, already received it. Boy, that's powerful, isn't it? Well, preacher, that's kind of misguided there. Well, I would ask you this. Do you expect God to answer your prayers? Your sins, your struggles are like a backpack you carry around on your back. And when you go to the cross, you take them off and you lay them at the foot of the cross. And then you say amen and grab the backpack and put it back on and walk away. Because you don't believe that your God's big enough to handle that, that particular prayer, that particular issue. That's what you do. We all do it. I do it. You do it. What one of our members say years ago, said, God doesn't worry, so I have to for him. <laughs> That's a human way of thinking about it, isn't it? God doesn't worry about a thing. You think God's worried about the Wall Street crashing? You think we got it rough? You should have been living in Rome in the time of Jesus, walking the earth. You want, you want to pay taxes? You think taxes are too high? Whoo, glory. You should have lived into the Jewish system. The Jewish system. They paid about... 40%. 40% of their income went to taxes. Of course, we're paying how much are we paying now? 98%? Seems like, doesn't it? 
Got to work six months out of the year before you start making money? <laughs> For what? To put it away. For what? For some guy to walk away with $90 million and go, eh, nee, 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 nee. <laughs> yeah. That just makes you feel like full of joy and love, huh? Amen. Well, Bill O'Reilly, I love it. Other day on the radio, he was so mad at those guys. He, I bet he was foaming at the mouth on his radio show, just talking, just, ah, ah, he's yelling at him. If they want from me, I'm going to nail them right here. because he found out he lost a whole bunch of money. <laughs> T. Boone Pickens, he ought to be crying, shouldn't he? He lost a billion, a billion with a B, a billion dollars last year. So OSU's had to put on hold all their remodeling over there. Your brother Boone ain't coming through with that billion dollars. Ooh, boy, don't you live on what you ain't got. Oh, wait a minute, this is America. We're supposed to do this. Do you expect God to answer prayer? Why don't you expect him to work with you? Maybe it's because we're not walking where we ought to walk. Maybe it's not we're, we're not living where we ought to live. Third, third thing, limitation, expectation. The third characteristic of, uh, of mustard seeds is that they illustrate dedication. A seed requires time and sustained growth to germinate and finally break through the soil. That seed contains and continues to develop for months before it's considered a mature plant. And many Christians experience doubt and disappointment and confusion because they do not understand this mustard seed principle. Perhaps you have said or you know someone who said, I prayed for a miracle. I ask in Jesus' name. I spoke to the mountains. God did not answer prayer in 24 hours. So I decided that those promises are, are obviously bogus. Of course, if you are reading this book, this Bible that I'm talking about here and have been talking about, if you're reading this book, then you probably will never say God's word is bogus. But if you're not in this book on a consistent basis, then you have no idea what he's doing. All you're doing is listening to what other people tell you he does. Open the book. Read it. Oh, I don't read very good, preacher. Get it on tape and listen to it. Don't quit giving excuses and start making something happen. Quit whining and griping about it and make something happen. Lead somebody to Christ. We're here to seek and save the lost. We're not here to be fat and sassy and satisfied. Let's seek and save the lost. Start bringing them in. Let's get to the waters of baptism. Let's move it every week. Well, we need to do that. Well, then get up and do it. You know, if, you're, if your marriage is falling apart, what are you going to do? Just look at her and go, well, I wish you'd hurry up and do something to make his marriage work better. Well, what about you, bub? What you doing? You know, bet you put on 30 pounds since you got married. Huh? Yeah. I bet you about as handsome and dapper as you were 20 years ago when she hooked up with you, boy. Yeah, she's had four or five kids, and you're wondering why she's not the same filly that she was when you snagged her out of the field. Uh-huh. Well, she's had to live with you for 20 years. Well, that would drag anybody down. Are you with me? And we do, we do the same thing with God. We wonder why He isn't listening because we're not near Him. We're not even abiding in Him. We haven't even gotten close to Him. Ian Bounds. Oh, you got to, I got to share this. Ian Bounds talks about returning to Christ with prayer. He says, The church is looking for better methods, God is looking for better men. 
this vital, urgent truth is one that is that that this age of machinery is apt to forget. The forgetting of it is is as detrimental to the word of God as removing the sun from its sphere. Darkness, confusion, and death would ensue. What the church needs is not better machinery, not new organizations or more novel methods. She needs men whom the Holy Spirit can use. Men of prayer. Men of men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. We need a people mover. We need $25,000. We have $7,500, $7,800 already in the till, ready for it. You could write a check and cover the rest of it. I don't know. But I'll guarantee you how God will bring it is if we'll get on our knees and ask Him for it. So how many of you will join me on your knees in praying? So we have a prayer room. We've dedicated a whole room up here just for prayer. Oh, I know, preacher. I was in there during that prayer vigil back in Easter. Easter? <laughs> it was in the spring. Been in there lately? Well, you don't have a call set time to pray up here. What do you mean? There's a, every day is a day of prayer. Anytime. That one sister comes early on Sunday morning gets in there and spends some time in prayer. What if I had 20 people coming, sitting in there in prayer? What if we had that? What, what, what am I going to pray about? Here's a novel idea. Pray for me. And maybe I'll say something that someone would listen to. Pray for the waters of baptism to move. Pray for, oh, there's all kinds of things you can pray for. But if you need a list, I'll generate one. Happen to have one in the bulletin every week for you. If you prayed every name in there, you'd been there for 20 minutes. Amen? Well, how do you know? I, I, I can already anticipate what you're going to say. Well, how do you know I'm not praying? I didn't say you weren't praying. I'm just saying how many of you will join me in prayer? Ran across a great golfing story which addresses the desire for supernatural power that we've considered today in this message. A young man from the Middle East moved to Scotland. And since Scotland is the birthplace of golf, the man decided to try the game and found he was terrible. He made duffers and weekend hackers look like Tiger Woods. On one of the beautiful ocean courses, he hit his ball off the fairway, over the cliff, and onto the beach. Determined not to take a penalty stroke and playing with the last ball in his bag, he climbed down the cliff to hit the ball from the beach. And when he got down the cliff, he discovered a magic genie lamp on the beach near his ball. And when he removed the seaweed from the lamp, a genie appeared and he said, Your wish is by command. And the man said, I wish for peace in my homeland. The genie asked where he was from, and the man pulled a small map from his wallet and showed the genie a small town near Jerusalem. And the genie said, now let's be realistic. The Middle East has been a place of turmoil for thousands of years. Do you really think a genie covered in seaweed on the coast of Scotland can grant that wish? Make another wish. And so the man said, well, I, I want to be a professional golfer. And the genie said, well, that's more like it. Take a few practice swings and so I'll know what I'm working with. The man took his swing and the genie said, let me have one more look at that map. <laughs> if the promises of mountain moving power seem too good to be true, then you need to take one more look at the map. 
The one making the promises is not a magic genie, but a majestic God who desires to demonstrate His power in your life. Embrace the possibility that God's supernatural activity did not stop with the cross. And according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, it says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all Father, we ask you this morning to move in us, your children. God, I ask you that you would be very real in each of our lives. That we would allow you to be real. I'm pretty sure, Lord, that today there's somebody sitting in this room hearing this message that needs to demonstrate some mountain-moving faith. Their world has been rocked. Their life is spinning out of control. They've lost what they believe to be the best thing that's ever happened to them. They're on the precipice of having to make a major decision and not really knowing what to do. Father, I pray today that they would see the mountain. They would speak to that mountain. And they would send that mountain into the sea. And Father, I don't care what the mountain is. I don't care what the obstacle is. Your promise is that if we will abide in you and you in us, that we will find rest, we will find strength, and we will find unlimited power. So, Father, we cry out to you today. And there may be someone here that needs to make a public decision for you. There's something powerful, as I mentioned in Romans 10, about confessing before man. And, God, I pray that you'll give the person courage or person's courage to do that today. And, Father, they don't even have to say a word to me. They just need to cry out to you. And that's why we have this cross here at the front, Father, for them to come and fall on their knees before you. So, Lord, if you have somebody here needing that, would you move them? Move them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.